0: Well, I want to start today by taking you back to 1987. uh, And an advert that you may have seen there. I suspect it may not be familiar to many of you. um, But this is uh, for Crunchy, a Crunchy advert from 1987. And it's not from the series of Thank Crunchy. It's Friday. It's before that time. So here we go. Cadbury's Crunchy. A delicious golden honeycomb center, smothered in a thick chocolatey coating. If you melt it in your mouth, crunchy could last longer than other bars. But you insist on crunching crunchy. That's the way crunch, 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 crunch. We like it. That's the way like it. We made crunchy to last. Maybe we made it too good. Okay, so there you go, a crunchy advert from 1987 using uh, the music from a hit from 1975 uh, from Casey and the Sunshine Band. I think I've got that right. Steve's putting his hand up. Uh, that's, uh, and they amended the word slightly to say, that's the way we like it. Uh, and the series that we're doing at the minute is called, This Is What I Like. Uh, and when it comes to chocolate, I think it's fair to say that actually as a country, We love our chocolate. How many people here love chocolate? Quite a lot of people. According to one survey, did you know that in our lifetime, on average, each person will eat one and a half tons of chocolate and spend £12,000 on chocolate? Um, That's quite an incredible amount, isn't it? Many of us like it. And of course, there's so much choice when it comes to chocolate. Uh, You might prefer uh, dark chocolate or milk chocolate or... um, white chocolate. We, we can add different flavors to it, orange-flavored chocolate, mint-flavored chocolate. We can add different things to the chocolate itself, caramel, uh, biscuit, wafers, nuts, these kind of things. We add all kinds of things to it, uh, and we have lots of different favorites. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them, what's your favorite chocolate? Okay, Um, uh, there's a lot of excitement there, I I, I can see some people wishing they got that chocolate with them right now. We have lots of different chocolate bars, we can have choices that we make as to what our favourite is. We live in a consumer society, lots of choices, you what do you like? It's probably out there somewhere. Uh, And of course, it isn't just with chocolate. We could uh, look at, for those people who like coffee and tea, there are all kinds of different teas and coffees. Look at the bread aisle, all sorts of different breads. You know, what do you like? You can have a look around, and you can probably find it. You can make your choice. Uh, And that's part of what our Western society is made up of when it comes to the commercial side of it, the consumerist side of it. Lots of different choice. Have it the way you want it. That's the way we like it. Uh, and what I want to talk about today is uh, in our series, this is what I like, uh, and the fact that choices can be something that we really do like. Um, while there's something that is absolutely fine about that, and there's no problems as well, take it to its furthest extent, and there can be problems. You know, our, our desire for choice can spill over into our faith, and our church life, and some of this is okay, so I'm not knocking it, but you know, when it comes to choosing a church that we go to, there are so many different things, and particularly in a place like Norwich, we've got lots of choices, and lots of really good churches in the city. We're very blessed by that, but it means we can make our choice. We can can look at it because we want to go to a church of a particular denomination. You know, we want to be Baptist. We want to be Church of England. I think that happens less now, but there are still people who do that. Uh, We can look at it with a particular stream, Uh, and this is more popular now. Perhaps people really want to go to a a Hillsong church or a Bethel church or, or some other stream like that. People may make their choices on the basis of the music, whether it's modern and played by a band, or whether it's older and played on an organ, and that's fine. People may make a decision based on whether there's the children's work that they're looking for or not. It may be particular theological standpoints that people, that churches take, and all of these kind of things, you know, whether a church is big or small, uh, all of these things are the things that we have preferences for and we make choices about. And and I'm not going to knock that particularly, you know, that's fine. We do a certain amount of that, and that's okay, Um, but it's when it goes further than that as well. You because know, it can go further than that. Uh, and what I want to talk about particularly today is um, two things. when it, Our choices go as, as far as choosing who our Savior is and what our Savior looks like and choosing what feeds us. Because here we've got to make good choices because we can make bad choices as well. Uh, and we're going to look at this through the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's many different ways that you can look at this passage, and I want to acknowledge that. And uh, what I'm not trying to do is just give one expository sermon on this today. I'm looking at it with a particular angle uh, and to make a particular point that I think God has placed on my heart, and it comes out through this passage. Um, So I want to acknowledge that right at the beginning. But the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is one that If you've been in Christian circles for a number of years, it is probably a story that will be quite familiar to you, and it's uh, one of those stories that actually is in all four of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels that teach us about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. uh, There are many stories that differ between them in terms of the content of what's included, but this is one of the stories that they all include. So it's an important story and uh, they tell it slightly differently. Uh, But what happens is, just to set the context from John's gospel, is this. Jesus has been in Jerusalem, Uh, and while in Jerusalem, he's been healing people. Uh, In the previous chapter, one of the people that we read about who is healed is a man who has been lame for 38 years. Jesus heals him. Wow, amazing, that's great. Uh, Except if you are a religious leader who is more concerned about the fact that Jesus has done this on the Sabbath day. Uh, And they are very angry with Jesus because for them this is work, for them this is breaking God's law. And that's what Jesus has done. Now Jesus returns from Jerusalem to the region of Galilee uh, and uh, he sets off in a boat with his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee. Uh, He's going there really to teach his disciples. It tells us that he sits down with his disciples, and usually when somebody sits down with their disciples, that's a sign that they were teaching them. So that's what Jesus goes to do. But of course, the crowd, people on the shore can see the boat leaving and see the direction that the boat is going in. So what do they do? There's a big crowd of them that decide, well, we're going to go to where Jesus is landing. So they travel around the headland, probably a walk in the region of 9 to 10 miles, uh, and they get there, and Jesus sees them approaching as he sat down teaching his disciples. As he sees them approaching, he has compassion on them. It says to Philip, well, where are we going to get bread? Where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Why, Philip? You might ask, why does he ask Philip? Because Philip is probably local to that area. So it's almost like you know, asking, where's the local shop around here? Except that's not what Jesus is talking about at all, because he knows what he's already going to do. But Philip comes up with another problem entirely. It's not about where the local shop is, where you can get the bread, it's how much that bread is going to cost. You know, it was great to have you um, and sharing with you with your wedding last week. I, I'm suspecting that for the people in the kitchen, they're glad that they didn't have to feed 5,000. <laughs> well, actually, let's say 5,000 men plus the women and children as well. You know, that's a lot of people to feed. That is expensive. Uh, uh, and Philip points out, he says, look, it's going to take. Eight months' wages would not pay for all of the bread that we need. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And then Jesus makes them sit down, performs a miracle, and there are actually leftovers. Isn't that incredible? But there are two points that I want to pick out at this point. Why did the people follow Jesus, first of all? tells us in verse 2, a crowd followed Jesus because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. They came with an agenda of what they wanted to see from Jesus. They came with the agenda of, we want to see a miracle. We don't want to miss out on a miracle being done. We've heard that Jesus does miracles. Let's go. We want to see him. I suspect they didn't come particularly hungry to hear the message that Jesus was going to give. They wanted to be impressed by what Jesus was doing. And indeed they were, because we read in verse 14, after the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, "'Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world.'" It is verse 14, not at verse 2 as it says on the PowerPoint there. So they, they've come along to see a miracle. They've seen it, and now they say, surely this is the prophet. The prophet is the saviour that they are expecting. So they're saying, we've come to see this saviour. This must be it. It must be him. And um, what are they going to do about that? This is where you have a choice to make. Because we might come here today, and there may be people who are exploring what you think about the faith, and that's great. We're really glad that you're here today. But there may also be people who have given their lives to Jesus and say, what does that mean for me in following a Savior? You see, we make choices at this point, but we need to make good choices. Uh, let me show you this picture. This picture is of a painting called Christ Mocked, Uh, and it's quite a small painting. It's about 20 centimeters by 26 centimeters, so sort of that kind of size, not very big at all, Uh, and it's been hanging uh, in a kitchen uh, above a hot plate of an elderly woman in France for many years. She's in her 90s now, Um, she was going to move out of there and she invited an antique dealer to come around to see if she had any furniture that was worth anything. And as he went around, he saw this picture and suggested that maybe she should have it valued. It sold for 20 million pounds. Being there all the time, she didn't recognize the true value. Uh, And that's what happens in this story, in one sense, for the crowd. Because what do they decide to do? They recognize that maybe Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior, the one that they've been looking for. So what do they come to do? They intend to make him king by force. Now, the people at the time, the people that he's meeting with, the people who've gathered there, they're probably quite poor. They live in a poor region. The very fact that we're told that the boy comes with five barley loaves. Barley loaves were what the poor people had because they couldn't afford the wheat. So they five small barley loaves. This is a poor region. In fact, it's a region that is mistreated in many ways. They will have experienced the land being taken, the best of the land being taken by the king, King Herod of that region. They would have experienced, as the Romans took over uh, and invaded and had control of it, uh, taxes being very unfair. This was a poor people who were made poorer by the people who ruled over them. And Jesus comes along, uh, and we know that he has compassion on them because he feeds them. uh, And the way he would have spoken to them would have revealed how much he cared for them. And they see the miracle that he does, and their response is, let's make him our leader. We will go and we will overthrow Herod. We're going to try and get rid of the Romans and their occupation, because let's face it, if he's doing miracles, if he can make a lame man walk, if he can feed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two small fish, then surely he should be our leader, because he's going to be great to follow. The odds may look against us, but actually he can do amazing things. You see the way they're beginning to work. They're choosing to make Jesus, they recognize him as saviour, and they're choosing to make him a political leader. And they're not understanding the true value of what Jesus has come to bring. This is the point that I want to make today when we look at the choices that we make. We can acknowledge Jesus as our saviour, but we can try and make him into the saviour that we want him to be rather than looking at the saviour that he is. And that means we could spend many years like that elderly woman in France who had a really valuable picture on her wall but didn't know it, living in ignorance of it, and only in her old age is the true riches released to her as she sells that. And the same can happen to us with faith. If we try to make Jesus into the Savior that we want him to be, we can be missing out on the riches of discovering who Jesus really is. We live in spiritual poverty. How does that happen? Well, it may be when we say, this is what I like about Jesus. So I will take the parts of Scripture, the parts of the Bible, the parts... Of what the Bible says and how we should be. I'm going to take the parts that I like. uh, And the other parts that may be a bit more difficult, I'll push them to one side. We can do it by saying, uh, actually, I'm pretty sure, without leaving very much doubt at all, that the way Jesus thinks about things and the way Jesus looks at the world is exactly the same way that I do. We can do that so easily. You know, we make our opinions are actually the same as what Jesus would say. And we need to have a humility that comes and says, yeah, this is what I think, but I could be wrong. But I'm hungry to find out more about who Jesus really is and that he will reveal more of himself to me. See, these are some of the ways that we can make Jesus into the saviour that we want him to be. We can say, we can come and have a wrong view of faith. This is one of the things that has been preached. It's kind of a a prosperity gospel message that says, actually, if you do what Jesus tells you to do, everything is going to be all right. You know, we can easily make Jesus into an insurance policy. You know what I mean by that? It's simply this, that actually, if we've got Jesus in our lives, if something goes wrong, all we need to do is we pray to Jesus and everything is going to be transformed and everything will be all Right? Do you know how many crises of faith I discover in people where something goes wrong, they pray, uh, and they were expecting Jesus just to make everything all right, just like that, and it doesn't happen, and they suddenly think, is Jesus really there? You see, it's making the wrong idea of who Jesus is. Because actually, when I read the Scriptures, it doesn't promise me ever in the Scripture that everything is going to be all right, absolutely right now, It promises me that one day, when heaven and earth are renewed, that Jesus is in control, and one day everything will be all right. But it may not be all right right now, even when I prayed for stuff. You know, let's face it, Jesus died in this world. He was crucified on the cross. That wasn't all right. He prayed to his Father in heaven, Lord, if it be your will, may I be spared from this sacrifice from this cup of suffering. But the answer was no. Actually, he needed to go through it. But one day, everything will be all right. This is what we need to understand. Uh, And actually, if we don't understand these things, we're making uh, Jesus into the Savior that we want him to be, because it's really nice if we think that, actually, if something goes wrong, I can pray and everything's going to be all right. That's a really nice thing to think. That's what we want to happen. But what we're doing is we're making Jesus into the Savior we want him to be. We're not looking at who he is. And actually, the reality is of who he is, it's better than we can possibly imagine. You know, that's the good news. Because we tend to want Jesus to sort things out here and now. He sorted things out for the whole of eternity. Isn't that great? And that's what we need to be looking at. But we need to be a people who say, actually, I want to see Jesus as he really is. The problem for the crowd is they were trying to make Jesus in who they wanted to be. They wanted to make their own Savior. We need to be people who say, I'm not trying to make my own Savior. I want to be a person who discovers more about who Jesus truly is. I don't want to make him in my image. I want to discover what he's truly like. Our choices are important. Our choices are important because here's, um, here's a picture of a car um, that was, it was tweeted by uh, the West Midlands police, um, taken because it's a stolen car. Um, there was a man who was going to his 10th driving test. He'd failed nine of them. He decided on his way to the 10th one to steal a car and drive himself there. He failed his test for the 10th time and was then arrested as well. Generally, I think it's easy to say, bad choice, bad choice, bad thing to do, doesn't make sense. But you know, we can get caught up in not making good choices, and we need to make good choices instead. I'm going to tell you a little bit of theology now. Don't, hopefully it's fairly easy to follow and understand, but it just says something of how beautiful how beautiful the gospel is and the way that John writes it is truly amazing. There's so many little things that are said. I don't know if you picked up on it. Verse 4 says, the Jewish Passover feast was near. Easy for us to gloss over those words. This is what I think John is doing in this. He's putting in people's minds what the Jewish Passover is all about. That's a part of the context of this story. Uh, And for people at the time, a couple of things that they would have thought of, of the Passover feast and Moses, their leader at the time, and the amazing things that happened as God rescued his people at that time. They would have remembered things like manna from heaven, where they didn't have food, bread raining down on them from heaven. And they believed that when the Savior came, the heavenly storehouses would open again and bread would rain down on them once more. They would also have remembered how they got out and escaped from Egypt with the parting of the Red Sea. You see what we have here in two stories that John tells us following that. First one, a miraculous thing that happens with five barley loaves. And then the next story, we didn't read it, but the next story in the Bibles would say to you, Jesus walks on water. So we've got a miracle of bread and we've got a miracle of water pointing us towards Passover and what they were celebrating. And that's important to understand because I want to take us just a little bit further in the story that we didn't read. So the thing is, what's happened is, we've left it, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake and they set off on the lake once more. They set off, Jesus wasn't with them. And then, later on, Jesus walks out to them on water. And that's another miracle. They get to the other side. The next day, the crowd who's been on the other side of the lake realizes that Jesus isn't with them, realize that only one boat has left. They're not sure quite what's happened, but they come back round to the other side of the lake to find him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, the difference between a miraculous sign and a miracle is a sign is pointing towards something else. They didn't recognize that what Jesus had done was pointing towards something else. They were only interested in the fact that he'd fed them out of so little. That's all that they were interested in. So that's why they come to find him again. You see, they're not really understanding who Jesus is. But what they need to discover is actually what's going to feed them. Uh, And so the story goes, Jesus carries on and says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And they say, well, actually, our ancestors they had manna from heaven they say what miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you what will you do our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat and the words on the screen tell you what jesus said i am the bread of life he who comes to me will never be hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty Jesus is saying, actually, look at this, the miracle. You know, you're thinking about the heavenly storehouses being opened and bread raining down from heaven. You want to know what that bread is today, what the sign is? It's me. It's me. I'm the bread of life. Uh, And actually, you saw a miracle and experienced a miracle of bread and fish feeding 5,000 people. You know what? You'll be hungry again when you eat that bread. But when you discover that I am the bread of life, you will never hunger and you will never thirst again because you will find your true satisfaction in me. See, we need to choose what we feed ourselves with. The people at the time were choosing to feed on miracles. They wanted to see amazing things that Jesus was doing. They didn't want to hear the message. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, they were filling themselves on people following the law, they thought a saviour, a messiah is going to come and he's going to keep the very letter of the law that we experience. That will be the sign. It can't be Jesus because he's not doing what we think he should be doing. He's not following the laws as we should expect. What's feeding them? What's feeding us? You see, we can feed on so many things in life that bring us satisfaction. Success. Success promotion, achievements. We can feed on material things, our homes, gadgets, the things that we like to spend money on. We can find it in our leisure pursuits and find that that feeds us. But you know what? All of these things ultimately will leave us still hungry and thirsty. It's not that these things are wrong of themselves, but just that we will never find our true satisfaction in them. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Feed on me, because I'm the one who will make sure that you have the most satisfaction that you can have out of life. Feed on me. See, we have choices. What we feed on. There's one good choice. Making Jesus the center of our lives. Let me just finish with one story. It's about Pavarotti. Some of you will know him as a great opera singer. Pavarotti, when he was growing up, his father was a baker, and it was he who introduced him to the wonders of singing. Uh, and Pavarotti really got into it, really loved it. He, he ended up going to college. Uh, as he finished at college, he had a choice um, to just sing, or to do some teaching and singing as well, and he asked his father's opinion. This is what his father said to him, he reported. He said, Luciano, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. Pavarotti then said, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. And this morning, as we live in a world of many choices, I just want to encourage us. Choose one chair for where we will find our satisfaction in life. It's not that other things are wrong and we shouldn't enjoy them. Yes, do. But what's going to be at the center? What's going to be at the heart of our lives? Choices. The choices we make are important. This is what I like. Choices. That's okay. But we need to make sure they're good choices. Making sure we follow a Jesus And trying to find Jesus who actually is there. Not the one that we would like to be there. Making sure that we allow him to be the one that feeds us. He is the bread of life. Amen.